Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be enraged. Let's bow in prayer again. Father, we ask as we've read your word that you would use the truth therein to work in our hearts and our lives, Lord, as your people. We are aware that we are in need of continually being transformed by the working of your spirit through the power of your word. And Lord, we ask that we might have lives that are lived in submission to you and to your truth. Lord, you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in our Lord Jesus Christ. So may we live in submission to he who has called us by such grace unto himself. Father, we pray that in all things, again, you'll be glorified and honored, Lord, as we open and read your word this morning, declare its truth. And Father, that it might not only be that we grow or learn or be reminded of things which we may already know, but as well that we will live each and every day accordingly, that your glory might be revealed in and through us as your people, as you have so chosen to do, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to continue to use your people, your church, uh, in a world of sin and darkness, spiritual darkness. Lord, we thank you that you've made us to be your light. Now we may, may we faithfully uh, continue to shine forth the good news of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in his precious name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. As I've mentioned uh, previously, it is important to acknowledge something concerning this portion of the text that Paul provides the list of human relationships sandwiched between verses 17 and 23, which of course is not by coincidence by any means, uh, but this is, is ordered, of course, by the um, inspiration of God's word of scripture. And in verse 17, Paul stated, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. But then look at verse 23, where he says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And so I, I, I again point this out for the importance of us understanding that while it is often common practice, it seems, for people to view these portions of Scripture uh, that follow, such as 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, that... Uh, concerning these relationships, it's, it's not uncommon for one to view this as though there's a shifting of thought or a shifting of gears in which now Paul's dealing with home life and let's consider the family, which is really not the case at all. And so you find this sandwich between 17 and 23, every relationship he mentions here between these two verses in which he reminds us, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And so all the relationships mentioned are between these two verses for that intent and purpose that they remind us of the spirit in which all of our relationships are to be centered as those who have been risen with Christ. And so again, I take you back to chapter 3, verse 1, as we've done through these past many weeks, in which Paul states, if ye then be risen with Christ. And so he begins chapter 3, this discourse here with this statement, if ye then be risen with Christ, with this practical living out the truth of the position we have in Christ of this new life, because we, we are putting off the old, and the old man with his deeds, putting on the new man, and, and walking therein. And so then Paul says here, of course, if ye then be risen with Christ. So let's tie that together again with verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. Paul began by addressing wives, if you recall, in which he stated in verse 18, and I preface with this again, if ye then be risen with Christ, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. So this is a call to believing wives. Now, this should be true generally in all uh, marital covenant relationships, but he's speaking to believers here. And Paul is saying to this Colossian church, he says, if ye then be risen with Christ, 
Wives, then submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And Paul is stating, again, that wives are to subject themselves willingly to their husbands in the proper manner in submission to the Lord. I don't want to belabor the point, but again, I want to mention, I believe it's important here because these verses are often read with, um, a, 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 with an assumption or, or presumption that this is a command for husbands to dominate and dom- be domineering over their wives. That's not the case at all. Paul is not even addressing husbands yet. He's talking to wives. This is a direct address to those who are believers in Christ as wives to humbly recognize God's order in, in the world, in creation, in the home, and that, the, again, the head, of the, uh, the head of the woman is the man, the head of man is Christ, head of Christ is God, as Paul declared in, in Corinthians, in his letter to the Corinthians. And so we are to recognize God's order, and this is to be done in a, in a humble, in a spirit of humility or in a humble manner, and that wives are to subject properly to their husbands concerning these, these matters um, of, of God's order within the home. But then Paul addressed the husbands, of course. And, and again, I want to, let me, let me interject this here. As you recall, we dealt with much of this in e- Ephesians. And I told you that Colossians 3, 18, 19, 20, 21, and Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, in these portions concerning the family members, that these are all, or these are parallel passages or sister passages. And so what Paul is just referencing here in Colossians, he actually expounds upon in the epistle to the Ephesians. And so we've been looking back to Ephesians for that purpose, in which we will do again this morning. And we go on to see where Paul then addresses the husbands in verse 19 when he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Shepherding, as I've mentioned to you, to husbands, shepherding consists of both love and leadership. Husbands are to lead their wives in the love of God provided for us in Christ. To be a husband... To be a father is to be a shepherd. That's what it is. And, and it's interesting because uh, much today, as, as I've mentioned before, husbands today seem to have want, desired to pass this responsibility on to the church or to pastors or elders rather than taking this on seriously themselves. In many cases, it may be because there are husbands that aren't believers themselves and do not know the Lord. Hence, they are not equipped at all to do this. But even for those who are believers, it is not uncommon to find that there are many cases in which the church has become the place for the shepherding to take place. And, and now pastors are shepherds by definition. Elders are shepherds by very definition. But husbands are to shepherd their wives in the same manner in which Christ loves and shepherds his church. And pastors are under shepherds, which are to, again, do the same also, to shepherd their, their flocks, um, recognizing this is God's flock, not their own. And they are to lead and love in, in the spirit of Christ. And so this is to be taking place within the homes. So husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And this consists of both love and leadership. And then last week we considered Paul's address to children. If ye then be risen with Christ, verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now, obviously, again, this should be true of all children. They should live in subjection, submission to the order God has provided within the home. But I, I again want to remind you, as I mentioned previously, that this instruction, although it is directly to children, there's also an implied instruction for parents included therein. The importance of submitting to God's order is equally important in relation to the relationship of parents to children as it is children to parents. So in other words, if children are to subject to their parents or live in subjection to their parents and submit themselves to the order God has placed in parents over the children, well then the question is, what, in what manner or how is it that the parents are leading, guiding directing or shepherding their children? How are they being instructed? And so it is imperative and res- that the 
the husbands and the wives that they take responsibility in submitting themselves to the Lord so that then their children see an example, not just hear a command. And in many cases, that's also what takes place. And, and, and we're all guilty of this at some point in time without question, I would imagine, that we as parents, for instance, uh, would rather than exemplify submission to the Lord and God's order or explain that to our children, just again, give instruction or commands on what to do, but if we are to be faithful as shepherds or as stewards of our homes, then we are to instruct, correct, rebuke, exhort, encourage, and, and teach not only by word, but also by deed. Let's go back and see the importance of this one more time. Look in verse 17 of chapter 3. And whatsoever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the spirit, in the power, in the authority, in the person of Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Then verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, but hardly is to the Lord and not unto men. So again, we are to be living in submission to the Lord concerning even our relationships, obviously. And that's true for every member of the home and even outside the home, as we'll see as we continue through the passage, specifically in verse 22. And so this morning, we're going to continue our examination of Paul's exhortation concerning these relationships within the home. Paul explained that while children are to obey their parents, fathers are to instruct and lead the families as shepherds who tend to their flocks, as we've mentioned. Or in other words, fathers are to pastor or shepherd their wives and children with love and care. And so there's a shepherding responsibility that is present. Paul explained, let's go on to verse 21. If ye then be risen with Christ, because you cannot separate this again. Remember, you cannot isolate, you cannot isolate these verses from all that Paul has taught up to this point in time. You cannot just say, okay, now we're again shifting gears to talk about the home and let's talk about how you know the home's supposed to look or what it's supposed to be like. And though that's important, of course, it's to be in light of if ye then be risen with Christ, whatsoever you do in word or deed, as a new man, putting on that new man, putting off the old man. Whatever you do, word or deed, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So this is all, again, about the relationship we have with our Lord, which is then to be demonstrated and exemplified in the relationships we have with others, including our families and even outside the family, as verse 22 will, will speak. So if you then be risen with Christ, chapter 3, verse 1, of course, verse 21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. As I, as I also mentioned last week, many times fathers discipline their children in anger and even ignorance. Now, Ashton was here last week, as you recall, and, and I said that that was true, of course. And, um, and this morning, now Garrett is here, and he will testify that I never disciplined out of anger. It was always out of a spirit of love. No, he won't testify that unless he's lying. Of course, there's times that we, with anger disciplined our children we did out of anger it, they made us angry they made us mad whether it was disobedience or whether it was just something that uh was not expected or what have you whatever it may have been there's times that fathers discipline their children in anger and even in ignorance and in the book of hebrews when dealing with the heavenly father's work of chastening his children the writer contrasts the chastening of the lord with that of earthly fathers by declaring in hebrews 12 9 and 10 he said, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? 
For they, verily, they referring to the earthly fathers. For the earthly fathers, verily, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, the heavenly father, for our profit, that we might be made or might be partakers of his holiness. So while earthly fathers discipline, as and when it says that they, they corrected us or they for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, it's literally saying that fathers disciplined as they deemed necessary or as they thought appropriate, and that for only a few days. So when it says according to their own pleasure, it's not saying that you know, they were joyful in disciplining the children, but it's saying rather that as they saw fit or necessary, they would discipline their own children, and in doing so, it, it was only for a period of time. And why is that? Because obviously, the, you know, the formative years of childhood are limited to grow and learn and mature. The fact of the matter is there are formative years which are extremely important that there is proper instruction and correction and teaching that then that way is set, if you will. And, and again, not all children would adhere to that equally, obviously, or listen. And we know that the working of the Spirit of God must draw men to redemption and to salvation. But regardless of all of that, it's still the responsibility of the parents to, to do so, to teach, instruct, and discipline all the while. And so we see that this is done for a few days, it says. This is for a few days chastened us, the, our fathers, our, our, our earthly fathers, after their own pleasure, so as they deemed appropriate or necessary, so they disciplined. But then as children grow, they are then left to themselves to a certain degree, not totally, but in the sense that fathers don't continue to discipline their children their entire lives. They may instruct them, they may still rebuke them, they may correct them, they may exhort them, but yet it's not that we continue in a same form of discipline as you did during the formative years of the lives of the children. And so that's why the scripture is saying for a few days, our earthly fathers chastened us during those four years of life as they saw appropriate, as they deemed necessary. But here's the contrast to that. Our heavenly father disciplines us out of love for our profit or for our good. And there's no end to that in this lifetime. We never reach a point spiritually in which our Heavenly Father says, okay, now you're grown. You've got to make your own decisions. You've got to go out and do your own thing. You've got to learn yourself. No, our Heavenly Father continues to discipline and chase us as His children while we continue to spiritually mature and grow. But the point is, it's all for our profit unto His glory that we might be partakers of His holiness, as the Scripture says. And so He is chasing us for our good, for His glory, and that His holiness might then we might partake and, and fellowship in his holiness. This is all to his glory and for his and for our good. Concerning Paul's exhortation, he provides in Colossians 3.21, which is our text this morning, we once again will go back to Ephesians to see how Paul expounds upon these truths further in the book of Ephesians than he does here in Colossians. Ephesians 6.4, Paul says, well, let's look at 1 Colossians 3.21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So that, that's a, a profound command. But then in Ephesians 6, 4, the sister passage or parallel passage of this, Paul says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So here we find more clarity to this command that is given in Colossians 3, 21. And this statement is a continuation of that which Paul had previously declared within the book of Ephesians. Children are to obey, 
They are to submit to the authority God has placed over them, yet that authority is to rule under the authority of Christ, as Paul has so clearly explained. So we understand that Paul states his emphasis in this verse, in the latter half of the verse, in which he exhorts fathers and or parents, as we'll see in a moment, moment, to teach their children in the Lord. The first portion of the verse is also significant. For in fact, this is probably one of the areas in which it is easiest to fail without realizing the importance and consequence of such failure. When he says, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. This is an area where we as well, and like I said, if we, if we discipline as fathers, if we, are to dis, if we discipline our children out of anger or ignorance, then they are much more prone to be provoked to wrath than if we do so properly. And, and we all, again, have failed here as fathers. There's no doubt there's moments we have failed in this, hopefully not totally, but moments we have failed in this as fathers. And so we see first, I want you to see the extent of Paul's exhortation here in Ephesians 6, 4, which again is parallel to Colossians 3.21 with greater emphasis or, or with the, he expounds much more so in Ephesians. So we see the extent of Paul's exhortation. He says, and ye fathers. Now, upon a casual glance at, at this address, it would first appear, of course, that Paul is speaking only to men, right? Fathers, you men, the ones who are husbands to their wives, fathers to their children. However, it's important we understand that this address is not limited to fathers, to the men in the house or home alone, but also includes mothers. Now you say, how do you, how do you say that? Or why would you say that? Well, the word translated fathers in this verse is the Greek word patir. And the same word is translated parents in the book of Hebrews concerning Moses. In Hebrews eleven twenty three. by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child that they were, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So while Paul does directly address fathers specific, specifically in the first in Ephesians, just as in Colossians 3.21, the scripture in, in some in instances uses the term, as you know, for instance, man, to speak of mankind, which includes women and children and all humanity. And so in this case, we can also understand that this, the Greek word from which the word fathers is translated at times is also translated as parents or a derivative of this word, if you will, maybe plural or singular, but the same word. And we see that it's, it's translated parents. So fathers ultimately have this responsibility, and fathers are to discipline their children and to teach their children to, uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's absolutely what, what Paul is saying here. But it's not, Paul is not excluding wives or mothers from the same responsibility in addressing the fathers. The fathers are the head, they are to be the shepherds, they are to instruct, they are to teach, they are to discipline. But then the the mothers also have a part in this as well, obviously. It's not excluding them from this. So the, the scope or the extent of the exhortation is not limited only to the fathers alone, though they are primarily responsible. Let me give you another example of that, just, just to, to, so you can kind of see what's, what the inclusion of women in this, in this case. When you look back, of course, to the Garden of Eden, for instance, when Eve sinned, Eve sinned first, then Adam sinned, but to whom is sin credited? To Adam. Why? Eve was the one who sinned first, then Adam sinned. You say, well, Eve was de deceived and Adam wasn't. True. Adam wasn't, wasn't deceived as was Eve. But the point is, Adam was responsible for Eve. And so the sin that was committed by both Eve and Adam is credited not to Eve, but credited to Adam. And Adam was the one who was to oversee, was to shepherd, was to protect his wife and teach and instruct his wife. And so here you find, again, fathers are mentioned because fathers are, the home is to be under the umbrella of the father as the head and as the shepherd. 
But again, that does not mean that the wife has no responsibility here. And I just want to clearly help you to understand that. But it's under the headship of that father who is ultimately responsible for this particular uh, passage in this particular passage of Scripture. So we understand it. it is significant the word is translated fathers in this instance, specifically regarding to the responsibility of teaching and correcting children. And so we must understand that as we read this text, we could never read this passage as though Paul is forbidding fathers to provoke their children to anger. Let me show you, again, the common sense of this and logic. It is not that Paul is saying, okay, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but mothers, you can. Obviously not. So it's not acceptable for mothers to provoke their children to wrath any more so than it is for fathers to provoke their children to wrath. Hopefully now you kind of see how this makes sense. And so, though it isn't addressed specifically to the fathers without question, yet mothers are still included under the umbrella of the shepherd of that home, which is, of course, the husband and the father. The fact that the word pater is translated fathers in this verse obviously then does not negate the mother's responsibility to follow this instruction, but does emphasize the father's responsibility to lead his home and teach his children. Historically, within American culture, fathers have been the providers while mothers have been the ones to supervise their children. And even within this dynamic, fathers are still responsible to be hands-on in the teaching of their children. That's another misunderstanding, I'm afraid. While fathers are often the cases, and as American culture has been, of course, and throughout history, where fathers are providing, working, you know, maybe out of the house even possibly or not present that's not always been the case but in our in our culture it seems to be the case and while they're not present sometimes then fathers will take that as though they're just hands off now you know let mom deal let wife let mom deal with the kids and discipline the kids and and they're not hands-on no it's the father's responsibility to be hands-on in in his home in the teaching instruction and shepherding of his home and so that's not to be negated either the, let's begin to look at the negative feature of Paul's exhortation because there's both the negative and positive feature element to their aspect to this. We see the negative aspect of Paul's exhortation, provoke not your children to wrath. So this command is one which may appear to be simple, yet it is truly complex. Uh, the statement provoke not to wrath, it means literally simply to make angry. And this command not only opens a, a proverbial can of worms, if you will, but also presents what could be viewed at least on the surface, as what we would refer to as a paradox or a paradoxical situation. In other words, as we will see in the remainder of the verse, what Paul instructs fathers to do in teaching and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that Paul commands fathers and, and mothers here as well to discipline their children, yet preceding the command, he also commands that, that fathers and parents are not to anger their children. So when it comes to discipline, obviously children often will have anger or resentment, at least at that moment in many cases. And so the paradox would seem to be, how can one discipline their children without inciting them to anger? Now, you cannot control the emotions of another person. So obviously, a parent cannot literally control the emotion of their children. So how is it then that one can discipline and not incite to anger? So although this command would include discipline, obviously... It is not concerning discipline alone. This command is more specifically regarding the manner in which we even regularly interact with our children. So once again, we must remember that this is a command to both fathers and mothers. Paul's command is a command for parents to make certain they do not treat their children in any manner which produces bitterness within their hearts. 
that we are to be mindful, we are to be instructing our children. Again, I mentioned a few weeks back how that it's interesting because, you know, I, I told you even my kids at one point, or my wife, one, bought a shirt that I still have today, and it says, uh, because I said so, Dad. You know, that, that's the answer, because I said so. But that's really not an answer. There's times where parents have to say, this is what you must do, and, this is, and you don't have to have an answer for this. But at the same time, it should be that we are teaching and instructing our children, our homes, in a manner in which we are explaining to them, we are teaching them, not just controlling them. And I'm afraid in many cases what's happened within the homes and in our country specifically, even within the church, is you have, if someone does take these commands or exhortations seriously, meaning their responsibility seriously within the home as a father or even as a mother, that then it becomes more of a, a matter of controlling their house than it is shepherding and leading and teaching their homes. And there's a vast difference between the two. Yes, I mean, I, I don't think that's, yes, I don't believe that's specifically speaking of this passage, but it still is an umbrella truth that all that is done is to be done in, in a, teaching the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, that we're not to be just hard nose about this without demonstrating love. Now, I, I will say this as well, that it is impossible, or, or let me back up, let me rephrase that. I would say that if you truly love someone, you will speak truth to them. That, that's just the reality of it. If you genuinely love someone, you're going to speak and tell them the truth. But there's also the danger always of speaking truth in a manner that's not demonstrating love. <laughs> I mean, that's always, you can speak the truth and do it in an unloving manner, but if you speak the truth, you do it because you do love someone if you're doing it in the right spirit, which is what that, that relates to. So I would say, to answer the question, I would say yes, that, that that includes this, of course, because fathers are to be teaching their children. Now listen, there are moments, of course, where commands have to be given for specific reasons, even for the, the, the safety of a child or whatever else, and, and their own ignorance or their, their immaturity. Has, things have to be done immediately, and it's just order, orders barked, if you will, as they are, and that's what it is. But that shouldn't be always the case. It shouldn't be always that that's just the norm, and you know, children never have, a, uh, never have any explanation of anything. And I'm not saying to the extreme, but I'm saying teaching them. Teaching them is not just controlling them. That is the point. And so it is that we are to instruct and teach and invest the truth into their lives, if you will. And to do so, remember, while not just ordering and commanding or instructing and, and educating them, but to do so while exemplifying the same spirit in submission to our Lord. Be done in that spirit with that desire that they also see and understand that. So it's not just simply uh, discipline, which is being referred to here, though it is. It's that we are to interact with our children in such a way, especially in these formative years and following, that it is not inciting them to anger or to bitterness, but that we are teaching and loving them. Too many times parents attempt to live vicariously through the lives of their children, which almost certainly will lead to resentment within the lives of their children, as though they're trying to live their lives through their kids when they've already lived that portion of their lives as, as parents, as adults. Another means of provoking resentment within a child's heart is when parents raise their children from an idealistic mentality. In other words, if parents place unrealistic demands and expectations on their children, it can easily result in a continued rise of resentment 
within them. That does not mean we do not help them to see that they need to be productive or live lives that are meaningful and purposeful, of course. But yet, again, you know, places where maybe we didn't accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, so now we want to accomplish this through our children, that's going to, to produce rebellion and resentment within the hearts of those um, to whom are being instructed in that manner. At the same time, parents are responsible to raise their children in a manner which they can provide their ch- children what is necessary to become responsible and productive adults, adults, as I mentioned. So the question remains, then, how are parents to accomplish this? And here's a complex task before us. This is not an easy thing. Listen, as, as I've, I've said to you before, I've told others this, of course. Um, uh, I'll say it to you this way. Getting married is easy. I mean, there's not much to getting married. But living the life of a biblical husband is much more complex than just getting married. And a, a living a life of a biblical father is much more complex than just getting married. And, and so it is as, as well as parents, as fathers and as, as mothers, that you know, having a child, I'm not going to say that's easy per se, but I'll tell you the years that follow the time of birth is much more difficult than the birth itself. And I think that'd be true for both fathers and mothers because it's just you have a lifelong of responsibility and dedication and commitment and, and to, you're to invest the truth into the children. So how is this going to be accomplished then? What does this look like? Well, here that brings us to the positive feature of Paul's exhortation or the positive aspect of this. He goes on to say in Ephesians 6, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So Paul says, you fathers, which includes mothers as well under that umbrella, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. While parents are not to treat their children in a manner which cultivates resentment, as I've already mentioned, parents are accountable before God and responsible to their children and to each other for that matter to provide godly instruction and correction. The term bring them up means to nourish and to rear. The noun nurture means discipline and training. And the noun admonition means instruction. So as parents, we must understand that God has made us stewards of our children. And we are responsible as stewards before God to teach, to guide, to discipline, to provide, to raise and love our children according to his standard. In other words, our children are not ours to treat or do with them as we please. But it is for us to rear them, to instruct them, to love them, to teach them according to God's command as explained in his word. Early on we came to this understanding, not that we... Uh, are an example of perfect parents by any stretch of the imagination, but we did come to this understanding. I did, and I explained as well, or shared this with my wife, of course, that we are stewards of our children. They are really not ours. Yes, they're not ours to, ours to dictate what they will become or what they will be either, but we are to instruct and teach them. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8, we read, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. MacArthur commented that the command for the people to bind the word of God, which is what's being referenced here, the bind the law of God or the word of God upon the hand had to do with their work being centered around God's truth, and that the mention of the frontlets between the eyes had to do with the people maintaining a biblical perspective. 
So he's saying we are to have the Word of God as the centerpiece within our home, not meaning that you have a family Bible that sits on the coffee table that you look over every night while you're watching TV. But meaning that the foundation of your home is to be the Word of God and that we, as fathers, as mothers, that we are to teach, we are to instruct, that we are to to converse concerning the Scriptures with our children. And by the way, this is very important also. I, I failed to mention this a moment ago, but I believe it's very important to bring this to light as well, that... The Word of God itself is not intended to be used as a form of discipline for our children. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, we we learn how to teach and instruct and discipline our children from God's Word, but your children, though that is true, in Deuteronomy we're being told that We are to live with a biblical perspective inside at all times. And it speaks of whenever you sit down, that we're to teach these truths to our children as you sit down, that these truths are to be discussed and conversed concerning the matters of Scripture. And so too many times, and I'm sure I failed in this at times also, it is easy, especially as believers and and understanding Scripture's teaching about the Word of God, its importance, that you begin to use Scripture as a means of then recognizing that it is the scriptures are to be the foundation of our homes in which we are to be teaching and conversing in conversation all of these truths with our children, not just using the scriptures to correction and discipline. It's very important. I remember years ago, um, even in school, where something would happen, and you know how you'd have to write sentences and things? Well, then there were times where I either heard of parents doing this, or maybe it was in the school that it happened, that we had to write Scripture as a means of discipline. That is not a form of discipline, and it shouldn't be used in such a way. Look, we shouldn't you say, oh, that helps memorize Scripture. Listen, that does nothing but bring resentment, even against the Scriptures themselves, because this is how you're being disciplined, right? So the Word of God is not simply to be a form of discipline. That's the point. But it is to be the centerpiece of our homes and our lives, Keep them before your eyes. Keep a biblical, eternal perspective in mind in the relationships that you have. And that's what Paul is emphasizing. So God's word is to be paramount within the home. Paul's exhortation is for parents to nourish their children in the discipline or training and instruction of the Lord. And I've often said that correction without instruction breeds rebellion. When you just correct a kid and you don't instruct them at all, that's not going to produce an obedient, submissive child, but that's just going to bring rebellion into the heart of that child. We correct what we instruct with the correction. In other words, might I say to you, aren't you thankful? Let's step back and look at our Heavenly Father. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't just beat us over the head when we deserve it, but He teaches us? He will chasten us and correct us, but in doing so, He is demonstrating love to us and teaching us that we might be partakers of His holiness, not simply beating us over the head because we deserve it. So instruction is important is as important as correction, and correction is as important as instruction. They really go hand in hand, and they should never attempt to be separated within the home. It is the responsibility of parents to discipline and instruct from the Scriptures as they embrace and live their lives from a biblical or eternal worldview. And again, this isn't to say that parents who do properly correct and instruct biblically, that 
always adhere to this because that's not always the case. It just isn't. But yet the fact of the matter remains that the responsibility for parents to teach and instruct and correct is all the same regardless or nonetheless. So this command for parents is one which also has significance regarding Christ living his life in us. Parents are to rear their children, to nurture their children, to love their children, to discipline their children, to instruct their children in the Lord. We are to live the example of submission before our children as we submit to the Lord, demonstrating the importance of God's order. Again, listen, we must not, and even now, as parents, as fathers, and I know there's only a, a few in here with younger children, obviously, this morning, but even those who've already raised children, maybe children are out of the house. Again, I said to you last week, and I'll say to you again, as fathers specifically, it is not too late to go to your own children where you have failed and if you have failed or where you have failed, and you're aware of that, and, and confess that before them and let them know, I have failed in this. I, I, I failed in this area. And repent of that, if you will, and attempt from this point forward to exemplify before them a humble spirit to God's order and live under the submission of Jesus Christ as Lord and help them to see the same. And even if this is the case, even where maybe we have failed, and again, we all have failed in so, to some degree, it's just the reality. No matter how great of a parent and intent you were in this, you failed to some degree. And because we're human, we're marred images, right? And we're sinful uh, by, by nature in terms of this flesh in which we still possess. And so we fail in these areas to some degree. Nonetheless, would it not behoove us then to help even in our own failures to teach our children where we failed that they may not fail in the same manner as we did in those areas? So it's not too late, even if parents have children that are out of the house and gone. It's still not too late to take seriously the charge and exhortation as fathers, as mothers, to live biblically at this point in time. Christ-like living in the family is not a mere attempt to add Jesus to the daily communication within the family, but it is, it is to submit to the Lord Jesus that his life, his love, his wisdom, and his instruction might be demonstrated within our lives. Let me tie this together before we close this morning. Think of this with me. What again is the theme of the epistle of Colossians? I wasn't really asking a rhetorical question, but I'll answer it if I need to. Yes, it's the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Oh, wait a minute. So Paul is actually saying that Jesus is to be recognized as preeminent within our homes. That's what he is dealing with here. It's not just you doing a better job, trying to do better, trying to be better. No, it's that we must acknowledge the preeminence of Christ in our lives. We must acknowledge the preeminence of Christ in our relationships, in our homes, because he is Lord. It's easy to say those words, is it not? Jesus is Lord. That's an easy thing to say. But the question is, Though we may claim that, are we living our lives in submission to his preeminence, to his lordship? And how is that being demonstrated through our relationships, specifically those of our own homes? I'm thankful for God's instruction. I'm thankful for God's correction. I'm thankful for God's forgiveness. <laughs> and I'm thankful for God's long-suffering with us and continuing to teach us, to mold us, 
Antimachus. So again, these commands, though most of us here, the majority have children that are already raised out of the house, you're not now set free from this responsibility just because you feel as though my children are out of the house, therefore this is done. We have a continued responsibility to live our lives in submission to the preeminence of Christ, that his preeminence might continue to be demonstrated and maybe demonstrated even more so at this point than it was in previous years, as it should be in reality as we grow and mature in faith and in Christ, that his preeminence be, be acknowledged and recognized in our lives, through our lives, and in the relationships that we share one with another. Let's stand together in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word.